Disrupting Japan, Episode 42. Welcome to Disrupting Japan, straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. Yuki Ito has been running a technology startup long before it was cool, or even practical for that matter. The latest incarnation of her company, Zest, sells cloud based field service software, which is used to dispatch expensive resources for complex jobs. We talk about Zest itself, of course, but we also talk a lot about Yuki's rather incredible journey to become a programmer and a startup founder. When seemingly all of society was conspiring, with the best of intentions, mind you, to prevent her from doing that. When she was starting out, girls just didn't do that kind of thing. Yuki's an amazing, resilient woman with a great story to tell. But I don't want to give too much away. So let's get right to the interview. I'm sitting here with Yuki Ito of Zest, who makes field service software. Rather than have me explain about Zest and what field service software is, Yuki, why don't you, why don't you tell us what it is? Field service is actually people who go outside. It's field service men. Okay. And they all have different kind of skill sets. Somebody has to make the schedule for them. And all the work has different conditions. So, for field service,、yeah. are we talking about building inspectors or people setting up like cable TV installations? What sort of, what sort of It work? It includes everything, a lot、yeah. of things.、Um, It doesn't include something like just a truck driver. All right. But when you say building inspection, one thing,、um, like elevator, escalator, that is one thing too. Like Sunshine 60 elevator, that is very fast. That is different from a department store elevator. So you have to send different k i n d of people. Okay, so, so if, I'm, if I'm understanding it right,、uh, field service software, it's different from scheduling in that you're setting up very expensive personnel、yes. to complex jobs that、yes. might involve multiple people、yes. and coordinating it all. Yes. So it's not a simple scheduling solution. No. Okay. So tell me a bit about your, your customers. Currently, it's all building inspections. All right. And the famous place is. Well, it's a little bit sad story that they had to use us. is There was Tohoku disaster, and they had to build a lot of buildings and a lot of places so that people can live. And somebody had to do the inspection. So it was just the, the sheer amount of work they had to do made、yes. them look for a new solution? Yes. Well, that's so often, especially in Japan. Industries, especially conservative industries, only adopt new technology when they really, really have to,、yes. when there's no other choice. Yes. So, in this case, what were they doing before for scheduling? They were using Excel. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, I can see why that didn't scale when they suddenly had to. <laughs> <laughs> It's impossible. It's impossible. If you have 20 people and if you have 20 places for each person to go around in a day, It means you have 400 buildings and you have to schedule them who has the right skill set to go there. And then you have to find out how long it takes from one place A to B, the transportation time, and everything. And you want to do it、um, 
efficiently, right? right? You want to optimize their schedule so that you don't have to go to east and then go to west and go back to east again, and that's right. Excel terrible. is clearly the wrong right, tool. Right, right. I mean, it's, it's one. It's one small step above the old whiteboard with the yes. schedules written on it. By the way, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say the name of the company, but You're one to of say anything you like. Okay, <laughs> like Toka Gas. Uh huh. They are a huge company. They have tons of clever people. They were still using this whiteboard to do the scheduling because it was so difficult to schedule. Wow. Mm-hmm. In in 2016, they're still. Yes. Now, yeah. in, in the last couple of years, the, the Japanese government has announced, oh, I don't know, so many programs to mm-hmm. help introduce startups to government agencies and large companies. Have mm-hmm. any of those been useful to you, or has it been old, old-fashioned sales work? I haven't caught into that program, I think. I, uh, I never met. You know, mm-hmm. It's funny. There, there are a lot of announcements, but I, I've yet to meet a startup who's really been able to participate or take advantage of them. It's all been just straight old-fashioned sales. At the moment, yes. Well, it's the hard way, but you have to do the hard things. Yes. I was thinking that startups can go much, much, much faster. And it was taking a long procedure. Some part is due to Japanese market, yes. Mm. But I think it wasn't a bad thing because we are listening to a lot to our customers. We learn a lot from our customers. So they give us a lot of support. They want to be one of us and try to make this product much better. So they give us a lot of feedback. Well, I, mean, I think active and engaged customers are the best marketing you can possibly have. Yeah. Well, actually, now, you and I have known each other for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost um, quarter of century. Yeah, about 25 <laughs> years now. I, I really was impressed at your, well, how you got into programming and how right. you kind of set off on this path. I wonder yeah. if you'd, you'd tell us about that. Okay. I was brought up in foreign countries, England and German and then United States. Then I came back to Japan when I was 10 years old. I didn't understand Japanese. <laughs> And it was scary. <laughs> so you, you didn't understand the language or the culture? The language, oh, wow. culture, and everything. And, it, and the worst thing is that the first school I went was called a mammoth school. At that time, there were so many children. We had, like, in each grade, 14 classes or something. I was trying to ask, where's my classroom? Because I got lost. And I'm trying to tell everybody that I'm lost, but I couldn't say it. It was like a nightmare because everybody looked like the same. And I started to cry and somebody had to take me to the teacher to go back to my classroom. But it was like, for me, Japanese looked all the same with all black hair and all the same kind of face. Uh The only thing I could love was arithmetic. Every three years, I was in a different culture, a different country. And it wasn't that bad because England and German and America wasn't that different comparing to Japan. Mm. But when I came back to Japan, the only thing I could understand was arithmetic. It was saying all around the world. Right. It's, <laughs> it's a universal language. Yes. That's how I started. And then while I was in the junior high and senior high, I was always studying like mathematics. I believed myself that I was going to that kind of university. But there was a teacher who really liked me. <laughs> and she was teaching Japanese 
and she wanted to put me in her class. So she changed my, um, I said I want to go to the class which is arithmetic and biology and those kind of things. Uh -huh. But I was on this path and I believe that I was going on my whole life at that side. But what happened was she changed my, um, I said I want to go this side, but she changed it. So she took you out of mathematics and put you in liberal arts? Yes. Huh. And I was in her class for the last two years at the senior high. And I had to choose those kind of college. And what happened was when I was going to graduate, we found out that our teacher cheated and changed my class. But I went to the college and... So the college you went to was a more liberal arts college? Yes. It was an engineering school? It was liberal I was arts? In, I was in learning Spanish, but I was hungry with mathematics kind of things. Uh -huh. and, and every day I was typing Spanish. It was only a typewriter at those days. And if I make a mistake, I have to turn it a little bit and... Uh -huh. White out, yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> And I didn't like it, and it was a stupid thing. One guy one day said to me, do you know there's a thing that's called computer? <laughs> and he said, and it was really, really expensive those days. No more um, companies won't be able to buy it. And then I always thought, like, I want to go to, I want to try computer, I want to try computer. And what happened was, one day, I was in a bar. <laughs> and... The guy who sat ne next to me, he was saying, I'm working at a computer company. And <laughs> I grabbed him and said, I want to work there. So let oh. me in. And I was so eager. <laughs> and he took me to that office. So did your college offer computer courses at all? No. Oh, no okay. arithmetic, no computers. So you started a part-time work yes. at this computer company? Yes. Oh. First, it was really tough. Um, they said, you're the first woman here, and we never had part-time. This is so advanced technology that no amateur can do it. You have to be trained, so you won't be able to do anything. And part-time job can quit tomorrow. So we're not teaching you anything. We're not investing in you at all. And that's how it started. All right. And I'm so lucky. I'm very lucky because nobody taught me. <laughs> what do you mean? You, why, why was that lucky? Because if you were in the course like men, all the other were men at the time, it takes six months to learn something. And then on the seventh month, they will start to do programming. What happened to me was from the first day, I really wanted to do something and started to do the key punching. So I was looking at the coding sheet and started to key punch. But before that, I knew that I will be key punching. So I went to a typewriter school before I joined that company for two weeks. And I got really fast without looking at the keyboard. Uh -huh. So when I started this key punching, I was very fast than all the others. Because I didn't have to see my fingers, I was reading the coding sheet all the time. And in a few days, I felt like, I think I can write this. <laughs> and I started to ask the boss, like, let me do this, let me do this. And I, I really want to write the coding sheet. And I started to write the coding sheet by looking at these flowcharts. Okay. So from flowcharts, I started to do like a coder. But writing the coding, if you make a mistake, you Raise it once more, write it again. It was like 
It was a this different age, so, for sure. Yeah. This is so boring. I mean, I felt like, why do I have to write it to a sheet? Why can't I bring this flowchart to the machine and just type it in? So that's how I started. But now you're skipping the coding and going directly, <laughs> typing it. Sure, so you're it just doing the coding more, in your head. Yeah. And then the second week and third week, what happened so, was... So how long yeah. did it take before you were, were doing this and, and programming? It was only the first week. <laughs> what happened was on the second week, I was coding directly on the computer. And then the third week, I started to say, hey, boss, I can write the flowchart. Because while I'm doing this work, I, w I didn't have to think. I had to think next stage. And I was thinking, like, how do they write this flowchart? Why do they get this kind of information? I was asking, I can do the flowchart because this looks so simple, I can do it. And then next week, I'm not writing the flowchart. I'm not writing the code. <laughs> I just listened to the system engineer, what they want to create, went straight to the keyboard and started to write programming. And in one month, I was writing the largest program in that company, the most difficult ones, and I was the best programmer already in that company. So and and really meanwhile, funny. your, your <laughs> colleagues were in their second month of the six-month training. <laughs> yeah, right. They, they even haven't started the second month. So that's how I really started to love computer. It was really for me. How, how long did you stay at that company? Probably two years, okay. and I decided like I don't want to go to college anymore, so I just quit the college, and I really started to find out where I want to work. But I quit because at that time, women were not an, allowed to work in office. Um, many people didn't want me to go to meet the customers or help them. Yeah, Japan has really changed a lot yes. that way. Yes. You left college, you left your part-time mm -hmm. job. This new company you're working for was a computer company? Yes. Okay. Yes. So when did you decide to go out on your own? I was 25, and for the next five years or 10 years, probably I will have to be putting all my resources, time and effort, just to um, competing men. I didn't like that word, but... What, what, what do you mean? Women were not allowed to meet customers, and women were not allowed to do front-end work. So what happens is there's always an intermediate person, and this system engineer or somebody cannot tell us the real requirement the customer wants. So I always had to um, imagine what the real feeling of the customer is. And that's how I made my program. It was like, if I'm doing the actual work here, I was always imagining why, how this floater was made. What is this system engineer is saying doesn't sound right. If I make exactly what he says, it doesn't work. So you had to guess at what the customer yes. really meant. I felt sorry for the customer because most of the people couldn't deliver a proper thing to the customer. doesn't help them. I was so frustrated that I couldn't get, give the right answers at, to them. At that time, mm -hmm. was, it, was it just that company that didn't want to send women out to meet customers? Oh, all or was over. It, it all was pretty over. much all. All over. <laughs> Very common. <laughs> yeah. I actually had a meeting one day from the boss said, I don't want to work with women. I was sitting next to him. He put arms in front of him and said, I want to talk only with men. So he just blocked you out of yes. the meeting. And he said, I want women only to be smiling and giving tea and taking coffee. And I don't think women should be in this place. And he talked with men. In one month, I changed everything. Yeah. He didn't want to leave me. But 
I left. <laughs> yeah. But, but I can that's how so. it it's, happens. <laughs> it doesn't quite uh, count as much once he only uh, values you when he, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was very, very common. It was not okay. only him. Yeah. So after you left, you went to a different company or you started your own? I didn't think of starting any company. I was only 25. I knew that I can do something for the world. At those times, there were no word like freelancer. So right. it was very, very uncommon that one individual is trying to get a computer work. And if I try very hard for three years and still doesn't work, I'm 28 and I knew that I will have enough um, skill that everybody would like to employ me. So I decided to be alone. But in one month, I found many customers. So most Japanese companies at that mm -hmm. time would not send out women to meet customers. No. But you found customers very quickly. How did I do that? <laughs> yeah, word of mouth. Yeah? It just happened. Yeah. If somebody is struggling, I said, okay, I'll help you that. And I helped it out. And they were happy. So they told somebody else. And that's how it went. It was really rapid. And what happened was... Other people, I didn't even ask them to join me, but they said, okay, we're going to do it together. And I found many colleagues working with me one day. And then in one month, the customer said, we had to work really, really hard to give you a purchase order because so awkward to give it to individual. So can you please make it as a company? And also the people who were working with me were saying, can you please make it as a company? And a 25-year-old girl didn't know what is entrepreneurship. I was thinking like, oh, they only want a paper registered. Okay. So I was like, okay, I can go there and write a paper. It's only a single paper. I can do that for you. You didn't plan on starting a company. No, it was just customer no. and employee request. Yes. <laughs> and that, that company was Zest? Yes, it was already Zest that time. Well, I, you know, I think it's interesting that Zest has gone through several different incarnations, yeah, several different, but it really mirrors like how startups have changed in Japan over the last 25 true. years. So as you were saying before, when you first started Zest, the idea of a startup didn't really exist no. in Japan. It, it was um, outsourcing. You were developing software for, for other yeah. people. Yeah. So at first you were doing projects, you were um, responding to customers' needs. It was a right, lot of outsourcing, right. custom development. Right. And now the current incarnation of Zest is mm -hmm. focused on a single product. It's yeah. a, a more modern startup. <laughs> what, what is the, the biggest difference between the old way of, of doing things and the new way of doing things? Because I think a lot of companies in Japan are, are looking at the same transition right now. 13 years ago, um, we were solving one problem, field service scheduling at that time too. But we were thinking for only that one company. Two years ago, two different presidents came to this office and they said they might bankrupt if they don't have that software that I invented 13 years ago. Well, that's and some strong motivation to make a product. Yes. And it was shocking. I mean, why could that happen? And then I looked into the industry, found out that there was no solution that has the same thing like what we were doing. 
these kind of schedule were made only by experts, but they don't have number two. That single person has the whole responsibility to run that company with the right schedule. He cannot get sick. He cannot、right. have family events. So the whole company's workflow is dependent upon this yes. one person. Yes.、Now. And what happened was, unfortunately, both company, both of them, got mentally sick. One had to quit the company. One couldn't come to the company. Suddenly, they cannot schedule anything in the company. Even if they try to do something, it wasn't that good enough. They send wrong people, get scolded well, by the customer. You know, this, this is something I have seen, and it is one of the. Biggest weaknesses in the way traditional Japanese companies、mm-hmm. are run. In this case, you've、mm-hmm. got these two companies where clearly everyone inside the company knew that, well, everyone associated with that workflow knew that it was all dependent upon this one person. They don't know. And it was a, a huge risk. They should know, but they don't know. I've seen a lot of companies like that. Unfortunately, people. Don't realize the risk yet. Okay, maybe the, the information doesn't bubble up, the manager kind of hides it, but the solution always seems to be to make that one person work harder and longer yes, hours. And it happens, yes. Until they finally break down from the yes. stress. Yes. And then they realize they have a problem. Yes. One day we were calling telemarketing and saying that this is what we have, and this company said, no, we don't need that, we're fine. And two weeks later they said, You must come right now, please help us. And it was the reason was that person who was making the schedule got pregnant and had to quit.、Yeah. The willingness of Japanese employees、mm-hmm. to work so hard and to work so much overtime、mm-hmm. is actually a weakness when you、yes. view from the whole company perspective. Yes. Because it allows、yes. these brittle systems to develop where、right. if one person gets sick、yes. or if the job just becomes overwhelming and she finally quits. Yes. Then the whole company is now in trouble. Yes. And that's what I wanted to help. We researched like 700 companies, and they all were using Whiteboard, Excel, Google Doc. Everything was manually scheduled. Right. At that time, Tokyo Gas also asked that they were using the Whiteboard and looking at a solution like this. Even in such a big company who has a lot of money, didn't have a solution. In Japan, IT companies tend not to give proposals to the customers. Customers will define what they want, and IT companies just obey, kind of, and try to make exactly what they want, but not try to propose something new because it would be their own responsibility. It's this unhealthy situation where the customer doesn't really know what they want. Right. And the. Vendor, they won't be blamed if they give the customer exactly、right. what they want, so、right. that's what they do. Customers in Japan can be very demanding, and so、right. making that transition、right. from a project based company to a product based company,、right. did you get a lot of requests for? Because if you have a product, it's like this is the product.、Right. Did you get a lot of requests for customization and changing, or did people sort of accept the product right away?、Um, both sides.、Yeah. You've been running Zest and its different incarnations for more than 25 years now, right? Yes, 28th year right now. It's the 28th year. Yes. So, looking back on it, what、yeah. are the biggest changes you've seen from startups and small companies and working with big companies? When I started, even for men, we didn't have entrepreneurs. The usual 
was they were like the top people in the company and spin out and break the company and make right. a new one. They, they'd and be that a senior was, person would yes. retire yes. and then do consulting and yes. yeah. It's not a retirement. It could be like 40 or 50 years old, but it was very rare for a young person to start a company at that time. Nowadays, it's like everybody's starting. <laughs> the funny thing, when I started, they said, you're too young to start a company. Uh-huh. And Two years ago, when I said I'm going to start the next round, everybody said, you're too old to start a new company. And it's like, <laughs> well, that is, that is okay. Funny, yeah. that is, that's been a big attitude shift where yes, I think that's 25 years one, ago, it was all 40s and 50s. Yes. And now everyone thinks you've got to be in your 20s to start a company. Right. Um, yes, well, how true. about being a woman entrepreneur? That must have changed radically in the last 25 years. Probably it is, but I don't feel it because I was like me for the whole time. <laughs> and I was treated like a man when I, even if I was very a childhood. So you were saying before mm-hmm. the sales staff, your male colleagues wouldn't even let you contact the customer because true. women just didn't do that sort of thing. Yes. And now yeah, that's true. there are uh, lots of women startup founders in Japan. Yes. A lot of female university students yes. say that they want to start companies yes. when they graduate. That's great. I meet a lot of younger uh, entrepreneurs and I see women entrepreneurs also. And it's a good thing. Looking back on the last 28 years mm-hmm. of Zest, mm-hmm. if you could go back and talk to the, the younger Yuki yeah. and give her some advice, what wow. would you tell her? Wow. Oh, there's so many things. I think it was a good thing that she struggled all the way. She had to <laughs> fail many times. Failure became friends. And that is a really, really good thing because if you're not used to the failure, it could crash you easily. But if you get really used to it, you know what to learn from that and how to come out from that. <laughs> so you'd tell her just to embrace failure and learn yes. from it. And, you know, I think that is one of the things that Japan has to learn to embrace mm-hmm. and learn from failure to really move mm-hmm. forward with startups. Yes. We talked before about some of the government programs mm-hmm. and the grants. You were mentioning they haven't been of much use to you at Zest in the current. No. No. What kind of things do you think the government should be doing to promote small businesses and to promote entrepreneurs? I don't like government to do so. You just want them to kind of stay out of the way? Yeah. <laughs> because if you spoil a baby, I don't think it's a good thing. I think it should be not the government. I want more successful people who has done this startup to help more younger ones. Uh, but I don't think the government should be involved. So more of the, the angel investors, people who have successfully built companies, yes. investing in the next generation. Yes. It's help only more. just starting to happen now in Japan, and I right. think it's one of the most important developments Yes. Going on. I would like to become one when I, if I get successful one day. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, listen, before we wrap up, mm-hmm. is there anything that you want to talk about? There was a one question you were talking about. Why Japanese didn't make this kind of system what we're providing right now mm. in the past? It's because each company, the most expert, were thinking very hard. And every time they were struggling to make the right answer. So nobody thought that their most expert is struggling, which means that it's not easy to make it as a system. 
So everyone thought the knowledge was so specialized and right. so unique yeah. that no one could possibly understand it outside the company. Right. And the other thing is that this expert even couldn't explain what he was doing. He didn't know how to solve that problem at all. So nobody tried to explain to any IT company that this is what is struggling. So do you think that attitude is starting to change in Japan? Or do people still kind of jealously guard that, that knowledge? And that's what we believe. And that's why we decided to make it as a product. Because if that two presidents didn't come to my office, I would have never noticed that. Many people were struggling for that. Mm. If you look outside the world, there are field service management products, but it's really expensive. So only big companies can use it. But our product is so cheap. Small and mid-sized businesses can use our product. And those are the people who are really struggling. We really want to help. Okay, mm -hmm. great. Well, listen, thanks so much for sitting down with me. Thank I really you appreciate too. <laughs> and we're back. What I found most impressive about Yuki was her determination to build software for people who would appreciate it. A series of teachers, advisors, and bosses all tried to derail her ambitions. Japanese society at the time told her that her dreams were not appropriate for a young woman. But she kept her focus and is now running a growing company doing exactly what she wants to be doing. In some ways, that's already a happier ending than most IPO stories. It's interesting how Zest's transformation from a relationship-based outsourcing company to a true product company really mirrors the transformation that has happened in Japanese startups over the last 20 years. 20 years ago, almost all small technology companies were simple outsourcing companies with little valuable IP of their own. Today, most new firms have a product to sell. And as we discussed in our last episode, this is an incredibly important and positive development for Japan as a whole. If you haven't listened to episode 41 yet, go back and enjoy it. I guarantee you it will give you a slightly different perspective about what's going on in startups in Japan right now. If you've got a story about how you succeeded when everyone told you you should quit, Yuki and I would love to hear about it. So come by disruptingjapan.com slash show 042 and let us know what you think. And when you drop by, you'll find all the links and sites that Yuki and I talked about and much, much more in the resources section of the post. And if you get a chance, please give us an honest review on iTunes. It's really the best way you can support the show and help us get the word out. But most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.